for those of you who don't know, I'm uh, Jason Coker. I'm one of the co-ministers here at the church. And today we have the opportunity to hear from one of our ministry teams. For those of you who don't know, we have a couple ministry teams here at the church. One of those is the anti-racism team. They work to create opportunities where we as a church can learn to uh, be allies in uh, anti-racism work. And then another team is the Queer Committee, Queer Com for short. Uh, you can tell which one is Joey's you know, favorite. So uh, the Queer Committee works to do a similar kind of work in the community to find spaces where uh, people who are LGBTQ can, be, can find liberation here in our church and then also in the community at large. And then today, I want to introduce you to our Justice Works team. Many of you are already familiar with our Justice Works team, uh, but for those of you who don't know, this is a ministry team here at the church who works to uh, affect local policy change, uh, both at the city and the county, and to some extent even at the state level. And Justice Works, as a ministry team, works with a local organizing uh, nonprofit called the uh, San Diego Organizing Project. So. The co-leaders for Justice Works are uh, Jen Nations, got her mid-yawn, come on up, Jen, and Chelsea Homeland, come on up. And then uh, Jen and Chelsea, yeah, give them a hand, they're amazing. And also, there are organizer here at the church, because we're a part of San Diego Organizing Project, we pay dues to SDOP, and that means we get a professional organizer who works with us to help us make sure that we have an impact in an effective way. Come on up. Our organizer is the fabulous Judah Coker. If you can't tell, yes, there is a relation. So <laughs> Judah is one of uh, Janelle and uh, I's three daughters. So we're privileged, amazingly, at the church to be able to work with our daughter in a kind of professional capacity. So they want to share with you stuff that's coming up. So I'm just going to give you the floor. You're going to need a microphone. Yes, yes here. Hi, Gen Nations. I'm part of the um, Justice Works team, and um, I'm just going to introduce what we do and sort of some of the general things we have going on, um, and then these two are going to talk about some upcoming um, actions, activities that we're doing. So our whole goal is to put faith in action. There are obviously a lot of different ways to put faith in action. Um, our other uh, teams at this church are doing that. The way that we do it is thinking about systemic policy change. So um, rather than think about an individual level need, um, we want to think about what are the policies in our local government that we can change to improve the lives of especially the most marginalized. So our areas of concern in the last little while have been around policing. Um, curbing police brutality, holding law enforcement accountable to make sure that um, people, especially communities of color, are safer in the city of Oceanside. So we've had some exciting developments on that and are continuing work in that area, in particular um, through candidate forums that they're going to talk about, but also some work to hopefully build an oversight board um, for Oceanside PD, who have been um, delightfully responsive for the most part. Um, another big area that we are focused on is affordable housing. 
pushing um, local government um, to, to build more affordable housing. So we've had a little setback in some of our work in that space, but we're working on educating ourselves, doing more to figure out what are those little levers of policy that we can move forward to get more affordable housing built in North County um, as soon as possible, because we believe firmly that affordable housing, permanent supportive housing are the ways to help those um, unhoused members of our community. Um, I think that's it. Yeah. There you go. Okay. So yeah, so the main reason we wanted to uh, talk to you all today is because we have a couple of uh, exciting events coming up. Um, and these kind of public events are ways for those who may not be directly involved with the Justice Works team to support us and get involved. Um, and so as you all may know, we have an election coming up on November 8th. And uh, in preparation for election, something that SDOP uh, likes to always do is host candidate forums. And so um, yeah, SUP. So as as mentioned before, San Diego Organizing Project is a nonprofit that works with local churches all across San Diego County who want to form teams of volunteers to address local issues that they, we, they've identified. And I think Jen did a really good job explaining kind of what those are for us. Um, but in terms of candidate forms, the reason we like to do these is because SDOP is a nonpartisan organization, meaning we don't endorse any candidates, we don't endorse any political parties, but we can support issues as uh, Jen just described. And so um, the candidate forums that we put on are really a way for us to, in as non-biased as a way possible, invite those running for local office to answer questions from the community about things like police oversight and accountability, um, how to address homelessness and affordable housing, et cetera. And so um, that's, you know, it's ideally meant to kind of help inform our vote come November 8th because we get to hear directly from them. Um, so we have an Oceanside candidate forum coming up, which I'll let Chelsea talk a little bit about, and then a Sheriff's candidate forum, which I'll also share about as well. Yeah, so we have a candidate forum coming up. It's Thursday, October 6th at 6.30 um, at uh, St. John. And, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, midterm elections don't get a huge turnout. And it's really, really unfortunate because, um, you know, obviously who the president is going to be is something that is very top of mind for people. Um, but in, in many ways, the local elected officials that you have impact your lives much, much more. Um, and so I think that that's something that is challenging because we have a lot of people that then won't turn out. And so who gets elected, especially in the midterms, um, yeah, is still very important. And so I think we're just wanting to try and highlight that. And I think, um, uh, I don't know. I think most people don't really know who their city council members are or why that's important. And, and again, those people in many ways are making much, much more direct impact decisions on our lives in the city. And so it's something that's really, really important to understand where they're coming from, what they believe. Um, yeah. And then being able to actually use the power that we have to be able to vote based on our 
decisions. Um, and so not taking that lightly. And so we felt like it was really important to be able to continue to have these candidate forums to be able to understand what do these candidates really believe about the things that are important to us. And so we will be asking some specific, <laughs> we will be asking some specific questions to them. Um, I think Alex said last week that it would be like an open forum for people to ask questions. It will not, unfortunately, um, unless you wanted to be there for five hours, um, which you probably don't. So, um, so we will have a series, a few questions that we're asking each of the candidates from District One and District Two in Oceanside, um, for them to be able to share what they, you know, where they're at with um, just policing, where they're at with what affordable housing looks like, and how they're going to prioritize that. Um, so, and really also understanding how they're going to be held accountable for their actions. So, um, it's really, yeah, it's a really important event for us to be able to, as a community, better understand where they're coming from, um, what their priorities are going to be. Um, and then we're going to be joining with several other churches, um, similar to the event that we did last year um, with Chief Armijo, to be able to come together and really help them also understand the community is listening, that we're here, we want to know where they're at. And it's not just, you know, a few people there wanting to know, but we're hoping to get, you know, maybe a hundred people or something from a variety of churches. And, and also to be able to know that like, this is not a faith only kind of conversation, but invite your neighbors, invite people. This is, you know, obviously it's going to be set, set in a church, but this is going to be important for people that live in Oceanside to be able to know what, who the candidates are and what they stand for. So we're just asking people to um, invite the people they know um, that would be interested and to also help us understand, you know, this, this, is, this is important. So um, I'm trying to th think if there's anything I'm missing. There will be a Zoom link. So if people are not yet comfortable meeting in person or for some reason can't physically be there, we will have um, a way to attend virtually. Um, but yeah, I feel like that's the high level. Did I miss anything? Yeah. Oh, sorry. One last <laughs> announcement. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, I we're working on RSVP links, and so we'll get those sent out. I think there is like going to be a mid-month email with an RSVP link for this event, as well as the one I'm just going to briefly mention. Um, so, in addition to this local candidate forum, SDOP in partnership with churches and teams across San Diego County will be hosting a sheriff's candidate forum on September 28th. Um, that's sorry, we don't have a flyer for that. I, we should have gotten that up there, but um, it's going to be hosted at our church in Southeast San Diego called City of Hope International. For those of you who may not know, the candidate seat is up for election in November 8th, and it's a really unique seat in the sense that every single person in San Diego County votes for the sheriff. And even though in Oceanside we have our own police department, the sheriff still controls things like the jails. Um, and so it really does affect all of us. And uh, for those of you who may not know, there's the sheriff's department has been in the news a lot recently because uh, a state audit found that San Diego Sheriff County Jail has the highest inmate death rate of any jail in the state of California. So there's major issues there. Um, the two people who are running against each other, Kelly Martinez and John Hemmerling, will both be at this candidate forum. There's also a Zoom link for that, but for anyone in North County who wants to be there in person, we're providing gas cards for people who want to carpool. Um, so we're really encouraging uh, ways to get there in person if if that's what uh, you want to do. And it's an opportunity for us uh, as a team in Oceanside to partner with our teams in Southeast, National City, you know, because we are a countywide org. And so it's a really unique opportunity in that way. Um, it's going to be at 6 p.m. on September 28th. And we'll also make sure the RSVP link and, and the details for that are, are sent out to everyone as well.
But that's it. Thank you so much. Take a stool yeah. with you. Like home? No, I'm kidding. All right, thanks, you guys. Uh, for those of you who are wondering, like, why did I come to church and sing songs to Jesus just to hear people talk about democracy? Um, I, I thought it might be helpful just to say a bit about that. We, we are not uh, Christian nationalists here. Like, we're not trying to get city or county or state or federal government to be like a Christian government. Um, that's not what this is about. This is about the fact that the person that we follow, the person for whom we name ourselves as Christians, had a great deal to say about caring for the poor, housing those who are homeless, uh, taking care of the least of these. And so while we don't have a desire for a kind of theocracy, we do think that to follow Jesus means that we would push for policies in our communities that reflect God's heart for people who are in need. We think that's what it means to be followers of Jesus, is to not just attend to our hearts, but to also see that our communities are just communities. And so police departments that, you know, for example, have higher rates of violence committed against black bodies ought to be held accountable for those racial, racialized outcomes. And we think that uh, policies that relegate people to living on the streets because they suffer under a meta-narrative that says that only those who can earn a decent living in a capitalist society deserve housing, we think that's actually an anti-Christ narrative. Right? So we, we as a church want to see those values reflected in our communities without having to name them as you know, Christian uh, governments. Right? That's a whole other conversation. There could be like a whole sermon series on the difference. Oh my gosh, who would be the person that might do that? But we're not going to do that today. Uh, but there are you know, very important differences there. And I do understand that that gets complicated these days because we do have an alarming number of elected officials who are openly calling for kind of Christian nationalist expressions of government. And oddly enough, those uh, elected officials or hopeful, you know, uh, hopefully uh, hopeful officials, I guess I should say, they seem to stand oftentimes for policies that harm the poor and the homeless. So that can all be very confusing and, and uh, difficult to pull apart. Today we're going to continue our series called Conversations with Jesus. We're looking at passages in Scripture where Jesus is engaged in a conversation of some kind with somebody, and then we're asking, what is it that we can learn from this? What is it that we as followers of Jesus can take from this particular bit of uh, story or narrative that is, is relevant to our lives. Today, we're going to take a look at Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, where Jesus has a conversation with the devil. Uh, this is a conversation that I think we can learn a great deal about, and I'm going to do my best not to overly scandalize you by anything I say today, but just know that I wouldn't be me if I didn't say something that didn't, you know, alarm you in some way. Uh, so I'm just trying, trying to prepare you for that. Uh, before we jump into the text, though, would you just do me a favor and pray with me for a moment as we bring ourselves before Scripture? 
God, we thank you for today. We ask that you would be with us uh, continually as we gather here in this space, as we raise our voices, as we sing uh, and pray uh, and laugh and worship and lament uh, and ask that you would shape us into the kinds of people that you want us to be, the kinds of people that you created us to be, the kinds of people who uh, were made to reflect the love and generosity and care and concern that we see in the person and work of Jesus. And so we ask today that you would open our eyes and our hearts to see something, hear something fresh uh, that would continue to form us into people who reflect your good character. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was having one of these political conversations, the kind that we were just having a moment ago with a, a close family friend. And I'm sure that, you know, I'm the only one in the room who often has difficult and painful political conversations with family members. But it was one of those conversations. It was hard. It was contentious. We didn't see things the same way. We were trying not to judge each other in the midst of it. Uh, and then I was making the case that that we ought to be voting for candidates who reflected those concerns that I mentioned just a moment ago, who made sure that we lived in communities where the poor had the opportunity to, uh, to, to, to make progress in their lives, to, to not be shut out of resources. And he ended the conversation uh, by, by saying, uh, I just can't worry about other people. I can only worry about myself and my family. And that was it. Like, that was... That was like his political philosophy in a nutshell. I can't do anything about what's going on in society. I can only worry about myself and my family. And that's, I have to say, that's understandable. Uh, we all live in uh, a, a, a culture that puts a great deal of pressure on us to make ends meet day to day, week to week. And that can be extraordinarily difficult and complex and and frustrating and traumatizing even when we aren't able to make ends meet on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis. Uh, many of us know what it's like to not know if we'll be able to pay our rent uh, this month and therefore faced with the consequences of you know, ending up living in our cars or on somebody's couch. And that has a tendency to create a kind of anxiety and threat that drives us inward where we want to just focus on the things that we can control to the exclusion of the things that we can't. And so I, I get it. I understand. I think the problem is that uh, we tend to separate those realms, the internal and the personal from the external and the social. And we do that in order to gain a sense of control that we can't really have. It's an illusion. And I think this story of Jesus uh, in his conversation with the devil in Luke chapter 4, verse 113, is a good el- illustration of this. And so I want to share with you some of what I'm seeing here, and as always, invite you to reflect on what you're noticing. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 uh, starts out, says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, were returned from the Jordan, that is the Jordan River, where uh, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. This is the beginning of Jesus' uh, uh, ministry. He returns from the Jordan, and is led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. Verse 3, and the devil said to him, if you're the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. 
Jesus answered, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. In verse 5, then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all of the king's kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, to you I will give their glory and all this authority. For it has been given over to me and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Verse 9, then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. And at that point, Jesus embarks on his public ministry after experiencing this sort of temptation experience in the wilderness. Now, this is the part where I perhaps uh, scandalize a few of you. When it says that Jesus is in the wilderness having a conversation with the devil, I think that this is an, extreme, an extremely powerful image, uh, an extremely powerful metaphor, a kind of mythical representation of the conversations that you and I have all the time with ourselves. When scripture speaks about the devil, Scripture is not speaking about an external reality that is preying upon you. Scripture is referring to the very real dark side that exists in every single one of us. In that sense, Jesus is in the wilderness having a conversation with himself. Jesus is contending with his own darkest impulses. Now, if that bothers you to imagine that Jesus, the Son of God, has a dark side, has a side to himself that is tempting him to do something wrong, I'll just take this moment to remind you that in our faith, we believe Jesus was 100% human. In our tradition, we sometimes refer to theologically the hypostatic union is how we talk about Jesus and Jesus' being, Jesus' existence, that Jesus is 100% human and 100% God. And in theology, we love to do this. We love to characterize two seemingly opposite realities that can't possibly go together, and then we smash them together in a way that violates our reason. And that's intentional. One of the most powerful ways that religion can form us and shape us in very good ways is to violate our sense of reason with paradoxes that force us to think and see differently. So I know that when we speak this way, that it creates tension in you. But that tension is actually good. It forces us to like, leave our analytical brain and return to our intuitive brain and in, engage in a kind of creative self-discourse. 
And it's in that space of tension that the spirit often moves and shapes and forms us. And so what I'm seeing in this passage is that Jesus is having that sort of characteristic experience where Jesus is contending with his own shadow side, his own worst self. He's wrestling with the devil, just like uh, Jacob who wrestles with the angel, only in that case it's a kind of representation of God, or like Paul who talks about the flesh and the spirit and how he's fighting his own flesh from the resources of his spirit, and he says, what's wrong with me? Why am I so divided? It is exactly the same narrative. Jesus is contending with his worst impulses, and here are the impulses that I believe Jesus is contending with. Verse 3, the devil says to him, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. This is Jesus' hunger. It is his bodily desire. It is his basic human need to eat. We all need this. Some of you know what it's like to be hungry, to wonder where your next meal is going to come from. This is an essential need that we all have. Jesus, of course, speaks about meeting people's basic bodily needs. And here in the wilderness for 40 days, he has become intimately familiar with deep, real hunger. He knows what it's like to be hungry. And his body is fighting for him to eat. And as the story goes, he is tempted to use his power to solve that problem. And in so doing, Jesus is learning an important lesson that every one of us, in order to become spiritually mature, must learn. And that lesson is this. Your body can't be your master. It's good to eat. It's one of my favorite things. There's no better or more beautiful expression of culture, in my opinion, than fine cuisine. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we should all go hungry all the time. I'm saying that we shouldn't be governed by our stomachs. And Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 19, speaking of those who are not with God, he says that they are destined for destruction because they are ruled by their stomachs. Paul is not saying there that hunger is bad or that eating is bad. He's saying that when you allow your body and your bodily needs to drive all the decisions that you make, then eventually your body will drive you to use your power to make very bad decisions. We need to learn as spiritually mature people how to be in control of our bodies. It doesn't mean our bodies are bad. I agree with Janelle. We need to learn to return to our bodies in a good and healthy way. But we are not in our bodies in a healthy way when they drive all of our decisions. I pay Roy to be here so that he'll say things like that. Jesus' answer to that, and this is worth reflecting on, is man does not live by bread alone. That there is nourishment that you and I need in order to live good and healthy and full lives beyond just our bodies. The next temptation Jesus faces is in verse 5. The devil leads him up, shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil says to him, I will give you all of this authority if you will just worship me. This is Jesus' temptation. 
salvation, not to make his body his master, but to make his ego his master. He is being tempted by power. And we all, I think, at some point in our lives have been tempted by real power. Maybe you were made the boss at work at some point and suddenly discovered how deliriously drunk you can be when people have to report to you. And you see like the ladder to success laid out ahead of you if you will only worship and serve power. Your own ego, your own desire to see yourself as good and powerful and admirable and loved and respected and competent and brilliant, whatever it is that you have told yourself you need in order to survive that leads you to crush other people under your feet on the way to get there. That's the temptation Jesus is facing here. It's not bodily desire, it's ego desire. And in response to that, of course, he says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The third desire, or the third desire, the third temptation that Jesus is faced with is immediately after that. The devil takes him up to the top of the pinnacle of Jerusalem, and he says, if you're really who you say you are, if you really are who God created you to be, throw yourself from the top here, thereby forcing God's hand to save you. And this, I think, is exactly how it often works for us. When we discover that our bodily desires don't get us what we want, and we discover that our ego desires don't get us what we want, we turn to coercion and manipulation. And oftentimes, coercion and manipulation of God. We don't want to just lord over each other. We want to lord over God, and we oftentimes are tempted to test God, to see if God will give us what we want if we just put ourselves in a position of sacrificing ourselves or, or sacrificing somebody else. We want to force God's hand. And of course, that's just another way of describing what we do with each other. Anybody who's ever been in a significant relationship with another human being knows what it's like when you discovered that you could manipulate your partner in this exact same way. Oh, well, if you decide that, then I'm gonna have to do this. This is a really reliable source of power. And we do this not just with each other, but with God as well. We see God as some sort of cosmic vending machine in the sky, and all we have to do is insert the right coin, insert the right tender, in order to get out of it what we want. And in that relationship of transaction, we are in control. We're the ones who get to decide. Jesus responds to this by saying, do not put the Lord your God to the test. This is, I think, a story about the liberation of Jesus and therefore, the liberation of us as Jesus's followers from these deep temptations to gain power at any and all costs. This story teaches us to take the deep roots of sin seriously. Yes, you're in a relatively progressive church and yes, I did just use the S word. <laughs> We 
we, we just heard from Jen and Chelsea and Judah about the work that we are trying to do as a church in the community. It's very common for churches like ours to sort of stereotypically, characteristically focus on a kind of sin that is social. Uh, over and against the kinds of churches that focus entirely on the kind of sin that is strictly personal. Uh, in fact, the last 120 years of American Christianity can largely be seen as a characterization of churches who think that sin is entirely personal versus churches that think that sin is entirely social. This is like a theological stereotype. And most churches don't actually exist at either end of that extreme, but in an essential way, in a fund fundamental way, they do tend to favor one kind of sin or one kind of liberation against the other. But Jesus saw no distinction between them. For Jesus, the realities of social sin in the world, the structures, the decision makers, the powers and principalities is how Paul talked about it, that create systems of evil that crush people under the machinery of our political institutions, that social sin is the result of personal sin. And personal sin is reciprocally the result of those social systems. They are not divided. They are not at odds. It is another one of those paradoxes. That these two realities, my personal shadow side, my deep inclination to abuse power for my own gain, is intrinsically related to those social systems that we work in partnership together. And if I can say I love Jesus and follow Jesus and have committed scripture to memory and do my best in order to volunteer in my church, but I can't think about those things out there and those people out there or participate in the systems out there, that is a refusal, that is a denial of how those things are deeply connected. And this is exactly how it happens. We give over to that shadow side of us, and in doing it, we liberate ourselves from having to think about the systemic. Conversely, if we spend all our time thinking and working in the systemic, it liberates us from having to think about the deep roots of sin in our own hearts. Jesus recognizes this deep root of sin in every single one of us. I love how Richard Rohr puts this. He says, the shadow self is not of itself evil. Okay, this is the second time today that I'm likely to scandalize a few of you. So I'm going to read it again and just remind you that this is Richard Rohr, not me. Right? The shadow self is not of itself evil. You know, Satan throughout scripture is not depicted as destructive. In the book of Job, Satan is one of God's servants. There's a deep psychological truth here. The temptation that comes to you and appeals to your deep-rooted sin is not the evil. The evil is how you give into it and do destruction on its behalf. Listen, it's, it's not the devil who works evil in the world, it's me. 
I work evil in the world, when I give in to these desires and I justify all kinds of harm as a result of it, Richard Rohr says, the shadow self is not of itself evil. It just allows you to do evil without recognizing it as evil. But I'm hungry. But I should be in charge. But she's doing the wrong thing. So it's okay for me to act this way. When the devil comes along and engages you in conversation and tempts you by appealing to these deep desires that you have for power and control, it's you who gives into it and hurts others. And you do it by justifying it as right. I know that because I do too. And here's Jesus contending with the same reality. There is no separating one kind of liberation from another. This is why, right after this, Jesus walks into a synagogue. He opens the scroll for the reading of that day, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, release for the captives, recovery of sight for the blind, to let the prisoners go free. Liberation from that personal temptation to give over to the dark side, to justify grabbing power in order to meet our own needs, that leads directly to decisions that harm the poor, that imprison people unjustly, that hurt people's bodies by whatever rationalization is necessary. That's how systemic sin is created. And then we build structures and policies in order to perpetuate those things, to liberate ourselves from from being culpable. But we are all culpable. There's no separating these two. Liberation from our personal sin is liberation from our social sin. Liberation from our social sin is liberation from our personal sin. These things are not at odds. They are in relationship to each other. This is why when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, when the kingdom of heaven comes, you'll have food. When the kingdom of heaven comes, you'll have forgiveness. When the kingdom of heaven comes, you will be free from your temptation. It's worth reflecting deeply on how Jesus constantly integrates these realities. Our personal temptation to justify our power grab and the social realities that are crushing people in our communities every day. We want to pull those things apart, but they are deeply integrated together. Jesus liberates himself from that temptation by appealing to what is ultimately good. Every step of the way, Jesus says, no, that's not what God has said is good. And that really is the key to being liberated from these realities, whether it's personal or social. The question is not, how does this make me feel? The question is not, is this something that I think I need? The question is always, but is this really good? And when we talk about what's really good and right and true, usually we use the word God. 
And that, that's work. It's work on our part to ask that question. Is this good? Is this what God has revealed in my tradition as good? Or is this another temptation to shield ourselves from the culpability of the harm that we do to ourselves and to each other? Would you pray with me? God, we thank you again for today, for this opportunity for us to uh, come before these passages to wrestle with the way that these stories uh, challenge us, challenge our assumptions and our biases, challenge our relationships and our politics. These stories challenge our theologies, our worship practices, our prayers. These stories challenge the ways that we have learned to be in the world that sometimes are habits that perpetuate harm, perpetuate bias and bigotry, and shield us from our own sin and our own culpability in bigger systems of harm and injustice. We pray, God, that you would liberate us from our loyalties to anything that causes harm. That you would free us from systems of belief that insulate us from the suffering of others. We ask that you would meet us here in this text and in these songs and prayers today. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Oceanside Sanctuary. My name is Rich, and uh, I love being here on Sunday mornings to focus my time, my attention, uh, be in this sacred space and this sacred time uh, to be with God and, and worship Him, and even be a, a little bit scandalized. Um, but the Oceanside Sanctuary has other ways to get involved besides just Sunday morning. And I just want to share a few of those with you. A, a big one coming up is our dinner and dialogue groups. So this is a great way to get involved on a deeper level, get to know uh, a specific group of people. It's going to be through the month of October and November only. So not a, a long commitment, but just a way to kind of uh, dip your toe in and, and get a chance to get to know some people a little bit better. So you can sign up for that online at the church's website. Another opportunity to get involved is a class that is Zoom-based, and it's called Outgrowing Immature Religion. So maybe some of the things that Jason was talking about uh, today kind of resonate with you in the sense that maybe you feel like um, your relationship with, with God has gotten bigger than the religion that you've always been taught. And this is an opportunity to understand uh, that a little bit better and what's going on. That's going to start um, October 4th, 6.30 p.m. It's going to be a series of six weekly classes. And again, those are um, on Zoom, 100% on Zoom, and you can sign up for those online. 
Uh, also, as the Justice Works Committee team uh, talked all about today, just a reminder that there is going to be a candidate forum for the city of Oceanside, October 6th at 6.30, as they mentioned. And that's going to be at St. John's Church, or there will also be opportunities to see that on Zoom. And then uh, finally, we are a nonprofit 401c3 church, and so we rely heavily on the donations and gifts from you. So if you feel moved, um, please go online and share that with the, the church. And now that you've been uh, renewed and refreshed by this sacred time being with God here today on this Sunday morning in this sacred space, I encourage you to go out into the world this week and be salt and light for Jesus. May the peace of God go with you. Also with you. Also with you.